Welcome to BIV Today, the business podcast from the Business Newsroom at Business in Vancouver. Lots of businesses in there. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. You know, we're brought together not only by our relationships, but in recent time by technology. And yet, even though tech delivers us to the world and vice versa, we're a world often of rather weak ties, of rather trivial and superficial connections. And in part, because we have so many distractions, we can subsist on this. But the pandemic is reminding us of the value of more intimacy in our friendships and families, of the importance of slowing ourselves to be more curious and to be in conversations that are truly that, mutual listening sessions. Perhaps our gaps in fashioning these conversations has something to do with our distancing, our isolation and loneliness. So my guest on the podcast today is really well known in our community as a broadcaster, but Riaz Megji is also an expert on human connection having not only interviewed thousands of experts, but taken the training himself necessary to make himself expert. His new book, Every Conversation Counts, describes a series of optimal paths to better outcomes and how we relate, even, even in a pandemic across this technology that finds him and I together now on Zoom. Hey, good to see you. Kirk, thank you very much uh, for the introduction and thanks for having me on in this space to share the message. Yeah, so let's, can we try not to lose focus on uh, all this discussion? Let's do what your book calls making a small talk bigger, right? And uh, let's just talk about the conversation if, if you want. Um, so you've had, you've had conversations from likely ever before you could talk, right? I mean, all kinds of body language as a, as a baby. Uh, gets you into conversation with another human being. Did, do you have any recollection of what prompted you to understand the impact, the importance, the real meaning of a conversation? Mm. As you ask that, it makes me reflect to the teen years. And mm -hmm. I believe a universal commonality of all of our teen years is we're trying to find our place to fit in. And the value of a conversation is a powerful tool to facilitate a sense of belonging somewhere, whether that's your, your tribe. When I think of teen years of university, <laughs> I sucked at every sport, so it definitely wasn't in the sporting world. But in the early years, I struggled with conversation. I struggled huh? with expressing myself. I was this introvert with a great deal of anxiety trying to think, where is my place? And the, the notion of conversation, I feel the exploration really started to thrive in a grade 11 arts class, drama class, I should say, at North Delta Senior Secondary School with a teacher at the time, the late, great Colin Vint. Mm -hmm. And the value of conversation simply goes back to an improv technique that many of us have heard before of instead of yes, but it's yes. And, and creating ideas through a yes. And an open mind, an expansive mind to discover before I dismiss. And an improv class is a safe space to experiment, to try ideas, to express yourself, to be heard, and then to respond accordingly. And it was in, in that early phase, I could really, one, find my place with the arts, but two, express myself in ways where it was a two-way interaction as opposed to a monologue, which is a different form of performance, but uh, you miss the audience engagement. You miss the opportunity to learn when it's just one way. 
So what was it about him as an instructor that gave you the permission or the facility to then explore what the conversation meant? Well-intentioned transparency. He was so honest when he'd see something on stage and he'd call it out in a way. It reminds me of, you know, when you trust a boss or a leader and you have such a great relationship, relationship is the foundation of any productive conversation. Knowing that they've got your back, they trust you, they want to see you succeed. When they challenge you and call you out, it's, it's less about resistance and it's more about acceptance of, oh, you're seeing something I don't. And that's what he would do with his students. And that's something that I value to this day of establishing that trust first that, hey, my priority is to see you succeed. Now here, I'm going to call out the BS that I see in front of me. And here's how, how, how you could just level up your game even higher. And I appreciate that to put the relationship first and then challenge us. Cause without that trust and without that relationship, we're going to end up in, in these polarized uh, debates and conversations that are anything but productive. Right. But, and maybe we'll, we'll jump ahead a little bit here, but, but I, what I also hear you saying is that um, even in building that trust, it doesn't mean that say in a, in a conversation or in, in an interview that you're doing, perhaps as a broadcaster that you can't get accountability as well. Accountability is a big part of it. And I think that, that that's what makes a powerful conversation. Uh, mm. Accessibility comes through the trust and relationship and respect uh, is an outcome of the accountability of, Hey, I'm listening to what you're saying. Uh, I'm, I've acknowledged you, but here's where you know, our common objective is it's, hey, me and you, Kirk, on this podcast, here's what we're trying to accomplish together. But here's where I see differently. And I think the establishment of one acknowledging what somebody's saying, but then establishing that commonality that we're in this with a common objective is really crucial to establish first before the accountability. So you understand it's not me versus you, it's us versus the challenge in front of us. We can often focus on what we're looking for in a conversation, but I want to ask you to start, what do you look to contribute in a conversation? Empathetic curiosity. In any conversation, when I look at the value of what I can bring to it, it's the value of discovery. And maybe it's that practice as a broadcaster asking the questions when I see somebody, I'm thinking, how do I extract from this person in front of me? And obviously, depending on context of what the objective of the interview is, if we're talking a baseline conversation, I'm thinking if I want to connect, if I want to establish this relationship, if I want to make this meaningful, I'm looking less for information, more for emotion. And that's mm -hmm. truly where the bonds are built, where I'm asking for stories, not just answers. I mean, you, you've asked me some great questions of already about conversation and you've taken me back to my teen years in a moment with Colin Vint in North Delta Senior Secondary. In all the interviews I've done in the past month, I haven't shared that. But that's the value of empathetic curiosity of you have this message, where does this come from? And then beautiful stories can come out. And that's, that's where I believe relatability comes in and bonds can be built. Yeah, because what I heard from you in describing him was also... Uh the surrogate role that a lot of teachers provide us, right? Uh, the surrogate role that maybe, 
you know, your parents can't fully fill, your friends and family can't fully fill, but somehow there's a kind of a safe witness as an adult to your development in this, who's going to let you experiment, fail, fair amount, uh, and then find your uh, find your footing. Um, I, what I wonder about Riaz is what we teach children how to play well together in school, how to cooperate, how to learn, but we don't teach them conversation. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting of how we're teaching our kids. And look, my son is just over two years old and I try to be conscious of how we engage, how he's uh, putting others first, how he's sharing. But if I look at the traditional education system, whether that was high school or university, one of the biggest classes that I always felt was missed was office politics. How we yeah. actually engage with one another. Like doing a business degree at Simon Fraser University, I learned a great deal about critical thinking. I learned a great deal about how to memorize and maybe regurgitate that on an exam, how to show up in a presentation. But as soon as I got out into the real world, to your point, I wondered, why didn't anybody teach us about how this game of corporate survivor really works, of how yeah. we need to connect and communicate and engage with one another? Well, the entire education system, I think, is, is founded on the notion of kind of optimizing your IQ without really paying terribly much attention to EQ. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating point. And it, it, you open this up about talking about how to make small talk bigger. And when I think about the opportunity with EQ that we could really double down on, and, and maybe it's become such a big, bigger priority during the pandemic of how we just interact as humans, is when you look at the idea of small talk, it really, people dread it. And when, when I get curious about why they do dread it, it's because for many, it can be a defense mechanism where we're protecting ourselves from the embarrassment of being emotional in front of someone we don't know. And maybe we're protecting ourselves from hitting a nerve with someone else that, that, that we don't have a deep relationship with. So then we hit the surface. We talk about the weather. We talk about what we're doing on the weekend. It's just information. But mm. if we can lead, and especially with leaders who, who create this, this space of trust in the virtual world when people say, oh man, I'm struggling with my team. The opportunity leaders have right now to create a, a sense of psychological safety to provide permission for people to share their truth, then they don't have to worry about alienating themselves because much as the, the commentary I'm giving about my teen years of trying to find your place, I feel like many of us could be afraid of sharing our truth because we're going to alienate ourselves and lose that sense of belonging, which is an innate human need. And yeah. what, what leaders can do to create safety is a huge way to make small talk bigger and is a huge way to converse in more meaningful ways. I mean, we can keep going down this thread, I think, quite, for quite a path here. But one of the things that uh, I've certainly noticed, and, I, and I'm pretty sure you can relate to this, is that when you are actually um, in a workplace setting and, um, and you've got a bunch of people and you want to give them all a little bit of your time, um, I wonder at times if we're really as conscious as we might be about what those uh, very, very small talks do in terms of forming um, 
a real image, an impression, a culture in, in a place and how um, certainly bosses have to be uh, a lot more cognizant of, of not being too casual about the way they throw around information, throw around ideas, throw around their observations, because it, it's the kind of thing where you, you may not talk to that same person for like six or seven or eight days. And yet, you know, your, your throwaway line is the, is, is kind of like the anchor of your relationship during that period until you see each other again. Yeah. The, as you describe that, it's making me think of a few things, the conversations of convenience that we've been used to the water cooler conversations, the run-ins in the hallway, uh, the stop-ins to a boss's office just to check in. And now those are all gone. And being conscious of how we're engaging, those that tell me that they struggle, and I, I find this too, when the intention is good to say, hey, we're going to have this social <laughs> Zoom call. You would, Kirk, we would never have a call of 40, 50 people in a circle at a cocktail party while two people just talk. Yeah. Your audience, it, it, you're going to lose them because they, they want to contribute. They want their side conversations. So mm -hmm. we need to be conscious of the spaces we're creating where everyone is activated in a certain space. And those one-on-one -on -one opportunities that aren't happening physically, there's a big responsibility and opportunity for leaders right now to be proactive, to continuously check in one-on-one -on -one and the cues that people are giving the leaders of what the priorities are. And like one, one of the examples that I think really stand out during the pandemic, one of the easy questions is, well, how are you coping during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. For me, I love to flip that and really focus on how are you taking care of yourself during the pandemic? Because the goal right now in our conversations is how do we elicit more positive emotion to bring people up, to remind yeah. them they have an element of control, even though they might feel overwhelmed, that's what a leader can do to remind them the power that they do have in a completely uh, bizarre scenario that we've faced in the past year. Yeah, I, I was going to ask a little later on, I might as well ask it now about how, how we make the most of, of the conditions in which you and I are finding ourselves right now at the moment on Zoom. What does it mean in terms of the uh, emotional pitch that, uh, that is necessary in order to elicit these kinds of genuine, authentic conversations? The leader sets the tone because if there's one thing I've learned from broadcasting, it's that the camera mutes emotion. And one of the great exercises, I mean, th this was given to me by uh, a great communication coach in America, Nick Morgan, simple game. It's called the happy, sad game, where if you're communicating your message and you think you're relaying it in a happy mindset, practice this. Take, if you have a big presentation coming up or a conversation you want to lead, practice it straight to camera. This is the opportunity with, with virtual is re practice, record, repeat, and do it in a happy mindset and record it. And then do it in a sad mindset and record it and then watch it back. And more often than not, I'm finding leaders that do this exercise are looking at themselves thinking, well, I, I, thought, I thought I was happy. I felt happy, but I didn't look happy. And how we gesture on camera 
More often yeah. than not, that the hands are out of the frames. We're missing the nonverbals. You're just seeing a facial expression. And if that's not calibrated, it could be really hard for people to decode what you're saying. So one, that's on us as presenters. And then two, it's how we approach the situation. And one of the ideas I share is for leaders to just go first. To just mm -hmm. go first with their emotional truth. If they're struggling with something, sharing that with the group so they know I'm not alone in this 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 personal struggle. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I I gesticulate a lot when I when I'm uh, speaking. Um, I think it's French Canadian background, and um, when I'm teaching, uh, I I was highly frustrated this year because um, first of all, most people stay on mute, and um, if you try to tell a joke, you have no idea if it worked. <laughs> And that can be a little jarring. Uh, but what I also wonder about, you, you, you mentioned broadcasting. But Riaz, I, I, I rip my hair out listening to broadcasters sometimes. Um, and, and, you know, like you, I've done a lot of TV. Um, why don't broadcasters cultivate great conversations terribly often? Is it time? What, what is it? What is it doing? If we were watching a six o'clock traditional newscast, regardless of the channel, a newscast is just pure information. And yeah. with, with the reporters, with some good storytelling, we can extract that emotion to make the audience feel something. I think the objective of a broadcaster is, is different than what a presenter or communicator would have in a Zoom call. I mean, the basic techniques of a broadcaster, of how you, you know, how you connect through the camera, how you, you maintain the eye contact, how you're describing what you're doing. If I'm looking down here and the audience knows I'm not distracted, but okay, I'm referring to this, bang, I'm showing you this visual. It's visual information for a broadcaster, but to be an emotional and persuasive communicator, if we want to impress or motivate anybody, we need to understand them first. And I think that's, that's the opportunity we have to do that work to understand, okay, if you have students, Kirk, or if we have the staff in the room, what are their biggest pain points right now? How can we speak to this? How can we activate them beforehand and say, hey, I'm going to come to you in this call? Like one of the things I recommend for leaders is to call people up, not call people out and let them know, mm -hmm. hey, on this, on this call, I want you to share this. This is a very important point. This is a common struggle. It's, it's going to break the ice in the room. It allows people to prepare and share themselves, but it really starts with the idea of going first on an emotional context. And a broadcaster sometimes, it's like an informational force field. But as leaders, we can break through that fourth wall and say, here's the real deal. Here's what we're dealing with. Here's how I'm struggling with it. Here's how I want us to work together. And people now more than ever appreciate that transparency. I might have asked you this earlier uh, in the conversation, but we moved ahead to some other topics. But I asked you what you look to contribute, but I also want to ask, what do you look for in a conversation? Courage, transparency, And something that's just, just real. That's what we need mm -hmm. right now, real. 
you know, when I had mentioned earlier about the conversations of convenience being stripped away, now the, the big topic of conversation is the universal commonality of isolation and how it's affecting us. And instead of the basic, hey, how are you? What's going on? Is on the emotional tip, Mm-hmm. What do you need most right now? What are you most grateful for right now? What are you struggling with right now? What's on your mind? And I look for realness, this realness in the response, because that, that's what's going to make and create depth in the conversation. If we're shielding ourselves, it's kind of like you mentioned technology in the intro. Technology being the double-edged sword right now. Uh, you know, I'm grateful we have it to do the these types of things and, and, and create these conversations. But if technology is going to help us overcome isolation, it has to facilitate social connection where it's meaningful. There's an exchange of ideas. There's a conversation like we're having on this podcast or technology and social media could simply fall into the common pitfall and trap of social curation where we're presenting a superficial look at our lives where everything seems great. Everything seems happy. And meanwhile, our reality is we're suffering. And if we yeah. suffer in silence, shame's going to put us in a hole. Yeah. So it, it really comes down to, I, I look for that transparency, courage, and realness and, and, and an exchange of ideas of, you know, what, what can we do? Where do we go from yeah. here? How can I support you? We wouldn't be the first ones to, to criticize uh, the internet for kind of creating weak tie relationships galore in the absence of creating um, intimate ones. But I wonder whether really what we're going through with say zoom here is just a, an early stage an early stage we it's going to get wiser and better and and have more facility to it before terribly long people are going to add features to it that will permit us a little bit more of this um, body language um, a little bit more a little bit more filling up of uh, of the things that in-person conversations provide us intuitively. Yeah, I, I would love to see the format evolve. A human connection in a hybrid reality mm-hmm. is going to be a key focus point uh, for mm-hmm. all of us in, in the coming months and and how we connect. And I, I, I do still feel, regardless of the medium, the most important question that I'm asking myself is, not what life is going to look like in 2025 or 2030 with the advancement of platforms or technology, but how can I establish meaningful human connection regardless of the context? And that involves going first. That involves empathetic curiosity. That involves Mm -hmm. activating and listening to your audience by generating feedback frequently. Like I honestly think, Kirk, for those that are are moving back to in-person meetings and presentations as, as we move through this pandemic, Maybe a great silver lining is how we engage the audience so much more because we've all learned in virtual that needs to be the number one priority of how you're listening to your audience as opposed to a stage from a stage for 45 minutes. And I hope that creates more strong two-way dialogue. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, you would have thought that the internet alone would have encouraged this interactivity with an audience. It didn't really. Uh, I think journalism is still particularly quite guarded and how it defends itself. And, uh, but, but I think I agree with you. I think that uh, this is where um, the pandemic has actually assisted us. It will over the long run anyway. It's still a bit rickety right now. A um, couple of last things. Um, 
I often find, I mean, in your book, you, you talk a little bit about the kinds of questions that you can ask in order to elicit a more authentic conversation. Um, what I wonder about is, is why don't we understand the differences at times between open-ended and close-ended questioning, interrogation, conversation? Uh, I've tried to ask you as many questions that started with a what, how, or why in order to just open your funnel so that you can, you can be expansive. But I'm still struggling with, with how people lapse into these kind of binary questions. Do you, are you, did you, why, you know, like not, and not looking at those close, close kind of questions uh, as, as, conversation killers. Um, so in a way, culturally, what the, what's the big challenge here for people uh, in, in learning about how to converse? If we have no context of the person in front of us, and this is a common question I have, okay, great, because I talk about the idea of over-preparing to improvise, where in our line of work, Kirk, you have the time to read a book, watch a movie, listen to an album, read a blog column from a leader, and then you prepare you know, where the conversation could go. But what if we have no context and that person's right in front of us and you want to connect? Mm-hmm. I feel we're a society that's just bombarded with information. And Google, <laughs> hey, God bless Google. It unlocks a lot of things for us. But it's created a lazy line of questioning where if you want to look up a topic on, I don't know, say just Vancouver Canucks, you just type in Vancouver Canucks. You don't even have to ask a question. It's giving you the top articles. All of your curiosity is curated by Google just by two words you're giving. Mm-hmm. And, and that creates uh, a sense of complacency for our curiosity. If we want to truly connect I really champion this idea of getting intentional with exploring emotion. I mentioned this earlier, and and one of the other things I'll throw in is the late psychiatrist Gordon Livingston on a baseline with his work, and he evaluated the the happiness equation for people. And he looked at three key points, and I mentioned the example of the Canucks. I call this the happiness hat trick, being a proud Canadian of him stating the happiest people have someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. All of those Mm. are personal and have a high emotional component because the things we talk about the most are career, health, and if you want that emotional component, it's the relationships. And exploring the relationships people have is, I believe, a strong key to unlock these bonds that you could build with people to earn trust, respect, and uh, creating that culture of transparency where you can acknowledge, but still keep people accountable. Okay, so I'm gonna close by asking you a question that I thought about, but that I've never asked anybody in an interview. Mm. What did you learn from this interview? This interview is reminding me the value that I can contribute in this space of human connection. And the reason I say this is I appreciate your approach to the interview. Some people would look at the book, have structured questions, and I can tell they're going through a list of questions. This is one of the most unique interviews I've ever had surrounding this message 
because there was no structure. We didn't talk about things beforehand. I reached no. out and I said, hey, do you want to discuss this? And you said, let's have a conversation. And here we are. And as we've gone through it, I think the thing that you've taught me is, you know, when you get caught up in something, my brother said this to me that if you're, if you're inside the jar, you can't read the label. <laughs> you've read the label. And your questions have taught me that the, the words that have been written, the message that has been researched can provide value. And the quality of the questions you brought to this uh, are a great reminder for me. So uh, I, I thank you for that. Yeah, no, I wasn't looking for flattery, just looking to see if there's something that, that you know, had, had um, yeah, had, had caused you to think a little differently about it. But it's good. Listen, Riaz, uh, generous of you to provide some time today. And um, good seeing you. Good seeing you. You're looking healthy, staying safe. That's important. So uh, let's keep doing that. And let's, uh, let's talk again. Fantastic, Kirk. I appreciate what you do. I, I appreciate how you approach the conversation. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having this message on today. Yeah. Riaz Medji is, of course, the author of Every Conversation Counts. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Join us again next time. Thanks.